Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to Viewpoints listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosser. It gives me great pleasure today to welcome for the first time to Viewpoints, Dr. Mindy Satiri, who's the inaugural Executive Director for the Justice Reform Initiative. Welcome to Viewpoints, uh, Dr. Mindy Satiri. Thanks so much for having me, Henrik. Absolutely. My pleasure. Now, as I chatted with you off here some time ago, I was attracted to the work you do by a piece John Fain, who'd be well known to most of our listeners, uh, had in the Sunday Age back in uh, February the 13th, uh, Beyond the Lock-Up Logic, and and, uh, it led me to the Justice Reform Initiative. Uh, You might like to explain to people, you started in, I think, September 2020, uh, tell us tell us a bit about your organisation. Yeah, sure. So the Justice Reform Initiative is a relatively new advocacy organisation and what we are looking to do and what we are working to do is to reduce incarceration across Australia. So we're a national organisation. Um, we've really, I guess, we're starting from the premise that Jalen's failing, that our current criminal justice system response is incredibly expensive, doesn't actually make the community safer, and in fact, traps people in a kind of cycle of disadvantage. So what we're trying to do is suggest a a different kind of approach in a whole range of different legislative areas, social and policy reform areas, and really look at the opportunity to try and build a community where disadvantage isn't met with a criminal justice system response. Mm. So, as you would know, there would be some pushback on that and particularly over time what we've seen from different political parties. Um, They run on, and we've got two elections coming up. I live in Victoria. One's a federal one coming up and a state one in November. Law and order always seems to be something which... uh, uh, Many political parties fall back on when they're uh, when they're seeking re-election or election, and times are tough for them. Um, why do they do that when it doesn't work? <laughs> it's, it's, always... a really, it's, it's a really, it's a really good question, and, a, and a, a, I guess you know one of the really sort of one of the reasons for our our organisation is to try and really halt that approach to policy and that approach to legislation because what we see in election times when there is law and order auctions where both political parties and it really is both political parties there's nobody that sort of gets that you know that that is performed beautifully in this area um, where both political parties sort of compete to see who can be perceived to be you know the the most tough or you know the most punitive well it's historically been seen to be a bit of a vote winner. What we can see is that the pragmatics or the practicalities of what that ends up looking like certainly doesn't make us as a community safer. So often you will see, for instance, shifts to bail legislation or shifts in in sentencing legislation or, you know, posturing around building new prisons and so on. And I guess what the Justice Reform Initiative is saying is how about we stop making policy in a kind of politically motivated manner and how about we start actually looking about at the evidence and and the evidence is is really clear in the space in terms of what actually works to both break cycles of of incarceration break cycles of disadvantage and at the same time make the community safer so i i think that it's become one of those things where politically it's a bit of a it's a last ditch kind of desperate go to during 
during state elections. But I do actually think there's been some shifts um, in in and reflection from both. You know, certainly in Victoria, there's been very explicit and open reflection around whether or not, for instance, running law and order uh, elections is actually, you know, that useful in terms of being a vote winner anymore. I, I suspect, it, you know, a lot of political parties are really waking up to the fact that it, it locks people into difficult to kind of maintain policies and the electorate is waking up to the fact that it, it, it's not actually working in terms of improving the the sort of the sense of safety of the community. Mm. Now, it, it's no surprise, and, and, and you've spoken about this before, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, they're amongst the most incarcerated people uh, on the planet, and uh, they don't make up very much of the population, but they do in jails. Um, what sort of progress are we making uh, in terms of enlightenment of the community and in terms of their ca- incarceration around the country? Yeah, look, well, I think the first thing to say here is another reason for the Justice Reform Initiative coming into being is a real recognition that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and leaders um, and organisations have absolutely done the heavy lifting when it comes to trying to hold government to account and change systems uh, with regard to Aboriginal over-incarceration. So, yeah, we've got massive over-representation in every state and territory um, and things have unfortunately, you know, been getting worse over time rather than better in terms of over-incarceration, criminalisation, over-policing. So one of the things that the Justice Reform Initiative is very keen to do is to work with Aboriginal-led organisations and and Aboriginal leaders around trying to support that fight that has been going on literally for decades um, to, to really sort of escalate and elevate those voices so that we can actually get a little bit of traction and and momentum. And I think, you know, the chair of the Justice Reform Initiative is the former Aboriginal Affairs Minister in the Keating government, so uh, Robert Tickner, and he was the minister responsible for implementing the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. And I guess that, you know, for somebody like Robert, who has been working in the space for a long time, it's utterly heartbreaking that so many of those recommendations Recommendations are just as pertinent today, 30 years down the track, and so few of those recommendations have actually, you know, been adopted by government. So there's a lot of work to do to address, you know, the social drivers of incarceration. And in the case of the overrepresentation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we have to be really upfront and honest and connect that overrepresentation with colonisation and with racism, you know, systemic racism in our police and 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 in our other sort of institutions of punishment. So I, I think that you know that that needs to be very clear. But we also need to look at the way in which postcodes of disadvantage. So postcodes where people do not have access to education, where people do not have access to resources, where there's no employment, where there's very limited kind of opportunity, those are also the same postcodes where firstly there's high crime rates but also secondly there's high incarceration rates. So what the Justice Reform Initiative is really about trying to do is to identify different ways of responding to disadvantage 
at the moment we use prisons to to manage people who often have you know quite quite complex needs and come from quite complex backgrounds but i guess that what we're saying is that you know if you happen to be born into a poor area or you happen to be born into disadvantage then you should have every opportunity um the same opportunities as somebody that's born into a into a richer area so you know if i was born uh, with a disability into a into a very rich family and I lived in a very rich suburb, then the chances are that my disability would be identified, perhaps support services would be navigated. It's complex sort of systems that you have to navigate, but maybe there'd be somebody advocating in my corner and probably a family that had resources to try and su- sort of provide that support. But if I'm happen to be born in a different area where there isn't that access to supports and services and I have that same disability, the chances are in Australia that I'll end up having contact with the police before I end up actually receiving any kind of support in the community. So we've got this very topsy-turvy system and then once you're in contact with the police or you're in contact with the courts and you're in in sort of the, the juvenile justice system or the youth justice system, then it becomes almost like a trap. It becomes very difficult to actually get get out of that. So we want we want to provide, you know, think about how we actually get people who are currently involved in the system out, but also how do we build systems so that people aren't funneled into the justice system. Mm, that's a good point. We're going to take a short break. Uh, can you hold the line uh, for us there, Mindy? Sure, of course. Welcome back to Viewpoints, uh, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Gross. I'm in the middle of a discussion with Dr Mindy Sotiri, who's the inaugural executive director for the Justice Reform Initiative, and we're talking about the work they're doing uh, to assist us in reducing the focus on and the outcomes of uh, incarceration uh, within our criminal justice system. Welcome back, uh, Mindy. Thanks so much, Henry. Just before the break, you touched on youth, um, and we chatted off air about... Um, fact that you know well I'm in education and if we can't start uh, with the cycle breaking at youth um, at the youth level uh, and kids as young and 10 10 year olds get themselves into all sorts of out of home care facilities and that system's not working either um, we haven't got much hope focusing on youth for a moment what does your what does the, the JRI see in that field? Well, I guess the the really big and sort of important debate that is happening and needs to be supported is the importance of actually raising the age of criminal responsibility in Australia. So at the moment in Australia, we send 10-year-olds to prisons um, and there's all of the sort of medical evidence and all of the sort of psychiatric evidence and all of the evidence into sort of the way that brains develop um, tells us that, you know, you cannot possibly be held criminally responsible for your actions until you are at least 14. And in fact, the UN suggests that, you know, it it could be even higher. Certainly lots of people talk about, you know, brains continuing to develop all through the teenage years. Um, So one of the things that we also know is that the younger you are when you go to prison, um, then the more likely you are to continue sort of that path. And that's not because kids are terrible people or, you know, that, that people that are going to prison have are sort of are really bad or dangerous. It's because they, uh, you know, often... Uh, the experience of incarceration, the experience of of connecting with 
police in that way um, and the, the the actual compounding trauma of those experiences often means that people get again sort of trapped in this cycle where it's very difficult to find a place to belong outside of the justice system as well so we have kids that go to go to prison for really stupid things often um, that are then sort of, you know, I guess become accustomed to what it feels like to be institutionalised. Nobody wants to be institutionalised. Nobody sort of asks for it, but it becomes very familiar and so it certainly loses any deterrent kind of quality that we imagine that prison might have. And then, again, people become very disconnected and dislocated from family, from community, from education, from all of the things that actually, I guess, enable all of us to to build good and healthy and productive lives in the community. So I think that, you know, that, that I, I am convinced that we will look back at this period of time in our history in Australia when we lock up really little children um, and, you know, in really brutal and often violent environments I think we will look back on this with absolute horror and and realise that we have done something terribly, terribly wrong. Now, we are at the moment trying to get the age of criminal responsibility along with many other groups, again, led by Aboriginal organisations and Aboriginal leaders getting the age raised to 14 because not that there's thousands of children that are necessarily in that age group in prison, but we know that the impact of stopping involvement with the criminal justice system at that age can be absolutely profound when it comes to building pathways out of the justice system. What's amazing to me, and, and, and it's, it's, it's actually uh, hard for me to comprehend, is um, how and when and why did we ever get to lowering the age to 10? I work in the education space and I know that 10-year-olds... Mm. They're children for a reason yeah. because they're they're learning so much. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, you know, still got sort of baby teeth, they're still learning lots of social skills, still learning how to tie shoelaces, um, you know, it's sort of, it's kind of, um, it's unfathomable that, that this is what we do. I'm not sure of what the history is in Australia in terms of that legislation, but I do know that we are lagging the rest of the world in terms, you know, we have one of the lowest uh, sort of ages in terms of criminal responsibility in the world. And so I think that it, we really need, and what we also need to, I guess, recognises, again, it's an over-representation of Aboriginal children um, who are in our prisons um, and in our children's prisons. And, and I guess, again, we need to be really thoughtful about what that actually means for that generation of kids who are getting, you know, again, taken from families and separated from communities and placed into institutions, which as we have seen with the Dondale Royal Commission, and we've certainly seen sort of other evidence in other states and territories of really, you know, horrendous conditions. Um, it's not, and it's not like there's nice places, you know, the fact that we're doing this to children um, who really require a whole heap of different kinds of things but in the community. So connection with family, connection with culture, connection with community, real support and opportunity when it comes to education, uh, things like access to sports, access to swimming pools, you know, these are things that all children would actually benefit from. But, you know, we, we end up locking um, kids away and often they do come from communities where there's sort of a, a enormous kind of over-policing. And I just think that we would be kind of outraged if this was happening in communities which are a little bit more affluent. We are not sending rich children to 
um, prison, we are sending poor children to prison. Mm, and uh, much of what you're you're you're, you're focusing on, uh, Mindy. Um, takes us back to the point where you could almost say the level of incarceration in, in in our country is, to a large degree, symptomatic of broader cultural and socio-economic conditions evident uh, around us. And so the solutions lie in um, broader issues than just mm. reducing the numbers. Uh, we've got to change That's society. Right. Yeah, look, the answer to over-incarceration, the answer to many of the problems that uh, sort of you know, arise because of our justice system actually exist outside of the justice system. So I'm often, you know, saying to people when we're trying to kind of explain what this vision might look like is imagine if, there, if we had the sort of social service system or the sort of community-led systems where if somebody is struggling in whatever way, whether that's with drugs and alcohol, whether that's with disability, whether that's with a mental health condition, Imagine if, when that was happening, people, all people, had access to the supports and services that they needed at that moment. You know, imagine if it wasn't a matter of luck, it didn't matter, it didn't, you know, it wasn't just a matter of where you happened to be born or whether you happened to be able to navigate a social service system, but that that stuff was available. I mean, things like housing. Imagine if people who are sort of cycling in and out of the justice system with literally nowhere to, to live. Imagine if there was housing for that population. Imagine what that would change. Imagine what that would feel like for people that have so little. So I guess that, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need to look at the social drivers of incarceration. We need to look at who it is that we're imprisoning and where people are coming from, the communities in which, you know, the majority of people who are going to prison are, are sort of entering from. And then we need to look at what the alternatives might actually look like. And often, like I was saying, though, like you pointed out, you know, those alternatives exist in the community. They don't exist inside the prison. Mm. Mindy, time has got away from us. Uh, couldn't have talked forever uh, and a day on it. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, or in some way perhaps uh, support the work you're doing, how would they do that? Uh, if you just Google jailing is failing or look up the Justice Reform Initiative website, justicereforminitiative.org.au, you'll find our website and there's a supporter page. So you can sign up to be a supporter. There'll soon be the opportunity to donate. Um, and if you sign up as a supporter, then you'll receive regular updates about our activities and how else to, to further become involved. Mm. Well, firstly, thank you for your time for the program and also congratulate you on what I'm hoping will be groundbreaking reform uh, in an area that uh, will be of benefit to, to us all, whether we're incarcerated or not. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time as well. My pleasure. That was Dr Mindy Satiri, who's the inaugural Executive Director for the Justice Reform Initiative. Do look it up and uh, consider, consider supporting the work they do. We'll take a short break. Listeners, don't go away. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossek and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts. 